Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time coming and listening to me online, welcome. This is Gospel Saving Church. This is one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always usually start with a word of prayer, so if you please join me, and let's ask God to uh, bless our ears and bless our hearts. Lord, thank you for bringing us here, Lord. Thank you for all the many faithful listeners online, Lord God, that come and, and listen and and get fed the Word of God, Lord. I, I just don't say things off the cuff, Lord, like so many. I just don't speak idle words like like so many, Lord God, in this day and age for you, Lord. I All my words are calculated, Lord. And Lord, because I'm in, I'm in... What's important to me, Lord, is your truths. Lord, your truths and your truths only. Lord, not my opinions, not what I feel. Lord, your truths. So I pray, dear God, that this ministry would continue to work, Lord, and work in the hearts of people all over the world in the truth aspect, Lord, and knowing who you are and being rock solid in your word, being led by your Holy Spirit. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that places like this, there are few and far between, but that places like us exist in this world. We love you and praise you and thank you and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to turn your Bibles today, we're going to be in two distinct uh, sections, but many more, but just kind of like you could put your fingers there if you want. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 35 and Micah chapter 5. We'll be in those two sections, uh, as well as, again, many New Testament sections of Scripture, which means that this week, again, I'm not going to read off all the different you know, sections of scripture that we have, verses that we have, because there's just way too many. Title of our sermon today, of course, is uh, God Still Got Me on the Kick. We're on Hope of Israel, part three. Uh, maybe five, six parts. I don't know how long, but this is what God's got. This is what God's got for us recently, and this is what God's got for us right now. So we're gonna we're gonna power through it, and we're gonna. I'm 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 enjoying these studies. These these I'm learning so much to, on on things that I've already known, and I'm learning so much. I hope I'm teaching you some things that God's teaching me. Maybe uh, God's teaching you some things that he, he hasn't shown you yet, like He's showing me. Uh, getting to it, last week we finished just two of the many prophecies that Jehovah laid down in the Tanakh or Old Testament to define or rather to give a, a blueprint, we'll call it, of what Messiah will look like when He came or when He comes, right? Whenever, however you're... You know, your perception of Messiah is. Those blueprints of Messiah in action would look like, again, the things I talked about last week. Number one, where he'd be born. We talked about last week, virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14. Um, Which of the patriarchs, the Jewish patriarchs' lineages he would come from? David's line, of course, 2 Samuel chapter 7. We covered again that one last week. This week we're going to be studying his miracles, the miracles that he did. Um, This would be the first on our ticket today. And where... He is or was to be born. That'll be second on our on our ballot ticket today for whatever you want to say. Uh, there, there's also the events that would happen to him while he lived and even how he would die and why he was to die. Again, we're only going to get to the miracles in the birthplace today. Um, there's many, there's I'm sure a couple more parts at least. There's there's things that are birthed on my heart that I can't wait to go through and, and, and love on you with. Anyway, uh, these blueprints or these prophecies mean, like I told you last week, for someone, anyone, to have come or still come yet and, and claim to be Jehovah's one true Messiah or Savior of the Jews and of the world, he will have to, past tense, must have, I should say, in the past, or will or must must in the future fulfill the blueprint details Jehovah gave in ancient messianic prophecies of his Messiah. And please understand, I want you to understand this, this point is paramount to everything concerning who Jehovah's Messiah really is. When he comes, understand, whether you believe he's yet to come or whether you believe like me that it was Jesus Christ already, if one comes, if someone comes and says, I am Messiah, I am Jehovah's Messiah, or, or again, Jesus Christ who claimed to be Jehovah's Messiah, if they do not match up to the fulfillments of the prophecies that Jehovah laid down for Messiah to fulfill in, in his word, then that person is a fraud. 
They are a fraud. That means that they're not Jehovah's Messiah. If Messiah comes and doesn't give glory to Jehovah, well, come on. Uh, the God of the Bible, then, 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 then there's, can't, they can't be Messiah because Messiah was going to give praise to Jehovah. He's going to proclaim the good work of God, the good news of God that God still loves. Any religious Jew today will say the same thing, except they'll emphatically proclaim that it couldn't have been Jesus Christ. Now, in the end times, the end of end times, let me say, uh, God is going to allow an antichrist or an anti-messiah to come and he will pretend to be the real deal Jewish messiah. And this one, as well as other little small antichrists before him, will do signs and wonders and miracles to deceive people, to make people think, wow, this has got to be messiah. Look at these miracles that, he, that he's done. Even the scripture speaks about uh, Jesus is one of his prophet, one of his uh, apostles. John speaks about how this uh, this this fake Messiah that'll come will even be slain, so will be killed, and then will come back to life. He'll have a mortal wound, which means he dies, and then he'll come back to life. And again, Jesus speaks about these things in Matthew twenty-four ish, and then John his one of his apostles in in the book of Revelation. It's all throughout the book of Revelations. Now. The Jews of today will admit that when Messiah comes, he must fulfill Jehovah's prophecies to be the real deal Messiah. But sadly, they are in tunnel vision denial of Jesus Christ being that Messiah. Tunnel vision denial because as you search their websites in regard to Messiah, as I have been uh, over this time, because I, I love to see their perspective and how they wiggle out of you know what Jesus Christ did and what the Messianic prophecies say. Uh, they are bold about saying that Jesus Christ was not him. And, and they say that he wasn't him. And they have a small valid point here, but I'm going to address that point in this little kind of intro that I'm giving. It's, it's probably the intro is probably, you call it the first whole section of the scripture, just be, or of this teaching. There'll be the intro, there'll be the uh, miracles, and then there'll be where he's born, and then we'll close. So here's my first main thrust of today. Uh, this tunnel vision, they're in denial, right? The prophecies they, they point out, uh, uh, they say Jesus Christ wasn't Jehovah's Messiah because they point to scriptures or prophecies that he did not fulfill, which God said Messiah would fulfill. Now, wait a minute. Didn't I just say that if Messiah was going to come and be God's true Messiah, that he was going to have to fulfill God's prophecies through the Old Testament, and then that'd be a yes. But, as I'm going to show you, actually you can flip over to Isaiah chapter 11 before 35, because we'll actually be there first in my intro section here. We'll actually see there's actually two comings of the Messiah that Scripture speaks about. And so there are scriptures that Messiah must fulfill, but we must be careful that we don't look at Messiah's first coming prophecies that he must fulfill and his second coming prophecies that he must fulfill and say, well, because he didn't fulfill them all, then he's not the right one. Well, that's, again, that's where the Jews right now are kind of trying to wiggle out of why Jesus Christ isn't their Messiah. Uh, the prophecies they point out that Jesus Christ didn't fulfill were concerning how Messiah will one. Uh, he'll bring all the Jews gathered to Israel, like all the Jews all over the world, the real Jews. Uh, number two, he'll be a great military leader for Israel. We know that Jesus Christ did not do that. We know that Jesus Christ didn't bring every single Jew to the, to the land of Israel when he was in his ministry. And we also know, uh, number three, he didn't bring peace over the whole earth, even amongst creatures and animals that would get along and no more. Uh, there would, there, there's, well, we'll talk about that in a bit, but there's going to be peace on earth. And no, Jesus Christ did not fulfill these prophecies, and they haven't been fulfilled yet. Uh, because again, as I just said, there are two comings of Messiah, and Jewish scripture even speaks about that. Maybe you can't believe, maybe you're saying, no, 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 you know what, Pastor, you're, you're, you're just pulling this out of, your, out of your nose. There's no way that God's word says that Messiah is coming twice, but absolutely he is coming twice. He's coming, he came once already, as I believe, and I'm, as I've been teaching on these last couple weeks, few weeks, and as I'm going to keep going for a little while, and then he's going to come in the end times when the resurrection, when the, when the resurrections of people, good and bad, are going to come, and when, when God's going to make new heavens and new earth, 
when redemption will be at the will be the end and evil and unrighteousness will lose. Praise God. Once and for all, evil and unrighteousness will be cast away. All right? So, first and second coming, Isaiah 11. Read the first 12 verses of Isaiah chapter 11 and let's look at this amazing messianic prophecy that Jesus Christ did not fulfill. But then I'll show you where, how God speaks here, there's actually two comings of Messiah. Uh, Isaiah 11, verse 1 through 12. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. What have we been talking about? Where was Messiah supposed to come from? Messiah was supposed to come from David's line. Here, Isaiah backing that up. Jesse was David's father. All come from Bethlehem, by the way. Number Verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So Messiah will be a super mighty, awesome, intelligent, intellectual, powerful, uh, absolutely breathtaking image or being when he comes in this coming that this Isaiah 11 uh, 1 through 12 is talking about. Verse 3, his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth. So talk about bringing judgment. Talking about how he, he being God knows men's hearts. Right? Only God can know the heart of a man. Like look inside of a man and literally know what that heart of that man looks like. I can't. I can tell by your actions. But here, this one here, this Messiah, this Messianic prophecy that Isaiah is talking about here, God here will be able to look inside of the person and he'll judge with righteousness looking inside their hearts and then he'll do, he'll judge the earth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Remember I said this is for the end times, right? When all wickedness will be wrapped away and gone away and thrown away and righteousness, uh, verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. Righteousness is going to reign, right? And faithfulness, the belt of his waist. Here's where I talk about the peace aspect. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Now, now we know we don't see wolves lying with lambs right now, right? Because wolves eat lambs, right? So we're talking about a time in creation that all like creation will be at peace with one another. There won't be no more meat eaters. Creatures won't attack one another. There will be no violence even in the animal kingdom. People will probably go back to being vegetarians like they were in Adam and Eve's day. We're not going to sacrifice or slay animals and eat them. I'm I'm not quite 100% sure on that one, but but I do know that there's going to be like this, this peace, like this harmony, right? He goes on, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and flat, fatling together. Now we know again that lions and calves, lions eat calves, right? God's talking about a peace here, a peace even in the animal kingdom. Verse 7, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Uh, The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall be and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. What we see there, the animals aren't even going to attack us anymore. It's going to be such a peace on the earth at that time or in this in this creation that God's going to make in this time that we're going to be safe. Well, there's no going to be no more death, right, for the righteous, right? The weaned child shall put his hand by the vipers then, verse 9. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Nobody's going to guess anymore. We're going to know God. We're going to know Jehovah. We're going to know his Christ. We're going to know his Messiah. We're going to know him like we know our intimate family members. We're going to know. And and actually, not just some of us, the whole earth, all of creation will know. Nobody will go, well, that God doesn't exist because everybody will know, wow, there's Jehovah. There's his Christ. Wow. Boom. It's, It's an awesome time, right? Verse 10. And in that day there'll be a, there should be a root of Jesse, here's the Messiah, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. Now, 
That's important. It shows us there that just like Jesus Christ said, he came for the Jews first, but then afterwards he said, go to the Gentiles also. Scripture speaks about Gentiles being included in the redemption, but people that are non-Jewish being able to be saved. Praise God, that's good news for the whole world. Uh, that's important part. That's something uh, that Jesus Christ did do, but of course it's going to happen more as the end comes closer. But here, here's, a, here's a huge key. So we already read that this peace, great military leader, peace on earth, you know, no more death, no more destruction, no more harm. But look at verse 11. When does this come? When, again, I, I'm, I'm professing right now, I'm, I'm proclaiming that this is going to be the end of the end and the Messiah's second coming. Verse 11 is the key. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. From Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea, he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel, all gathered together to disperse to Judah from the four corners of the earth. This is one of those prophecies that the Jews point to today as to why they don't believe Jesus was Messiah because he didn't fulfill it, but again... Plain as the nose on our faces, verse 11, it said to us there, though the, through the Messiah, not speaking about when God redeemed Israel many times in the Old Testament. God did, God did that way more than two. He, God would allow him to be punished. I mean, read the book of Judges. For crying out loud, I, I love the book of Judges. It's one of my favorite, favorite books of the Bible. It, there's a lot of graphics in there, a lot of graphicness, a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff in there, but it's one of my favorite books of the Bible because it shows how God's people fall away and then God does a mighty work to redeem them. And he must do it a dozen or two times just in the book of Judges alone and then even afterwards. So here, this Isaiah chapter 11, speaking of Messiah coming here and in that day gathering all of God's children a second time, that means that it's been done once before. Well, we know when Jesus Christ came, that John the Baptist came before him and that John the Baptist was a huge promoter of Christ and that many of the hearts of the Israelites and Jews turned to God during that time. It was a huge ingathering. When we look at through Christ's ministry, afterwards with the apostles, there was a huge ingathering of Israel to Christ. There are still a lot of Jews that didn't believe, they chose not to believe, but there was at that first time, a lot of Israelites, a lot of Jews came to Christ, came to God, came back to God away from the law, away from the letter of the law, away from legalism, and unto faith in God, the faith in God like God wanted, wanted to have since Abraham, okay? We're not talking about, um, I can work my way to salvation, talk about grace through faith, right? Not of works, right? And here we have verse 11 of Isaiah 11 speaking about the second time that this will happen is in this end time of this end of evil and end and all righteousness will reign and everybody will know God. And so it's plain here that the Messiah, this will be his second time he's going to come to gather the children of Israel back to God. Anyway, to all my skeptics out there, including all my Jewish friends who may be listening to this message, who don't believe Jesus was Jehovah's Messiah, who say that Jesus didn't fulfill all the prophecies of Jehovah's Messiah because he didn't fulfill prophecies like Isaiah 11, do me a favor, please, for yourself, for your own soul, for your own sake, for your own as you seek God. Do this. Stop just looking at the few prophecies that Jesus Christ didn't fulfill that speak about the end, 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 end. And look at all the prophecies, the mountains of prophecies that he did fulfill in his first coming. Like the ones we talked about already. Like the ones we're going to talk about today because those are all messianic prophecies too you can't so you cannot you can't just throw out some and pick others uh, ones like i brought forth in this message jesus christ far fulfilled all the prophecies that jehovah said his messiah was to fulfill in his first coming 
the body of the baby, you know, coming in the body of the baby, Isaiah 7 and 9. I didn't read 9 last week. I wish I would have, but I already went way over anyway. You can look up Isaiah 7 and 9. Uh, two, through the line of the tribe of, da- uh, of Judah, Genesis 49, that meant that the Messiah was going to come not only through David, but through Judah. You know, God's original, the, Judah was the head of, you know, the tribe of David. Uh, and then back to King David, specifically 2 Samuel 7. And again, like I said last week, genealogical records don't even exist anymore, which means that we can't even know Messiah when he comes. And yet a blueprint for one of the things for Messiah is that he would have to prove that he was from the line of King David. That can't happen anymore. That had to have happened in the past. You can go back and look at, listen to, to uh, Hope of Israel uh, Part 2, like I taught last week. The prophecies that Jesus of Nazareth did fulfill when he came to the, the first time to prove he was Christ Messiah are actually amazing and phenomenal. So phenomenal. John 7, 31, this kind of sums up his his first coming, and all the prophecies that he did, and all the miracles that he fulfilled. John 7, 31, they say this of Jesus the first time they saw him. And many of the people believed in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, and said, when the Christ, or or meaning their Messiah, when Messiah comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? Meaning they were so blown away by everything Jesus Christ had done. They're like, if, if, if there is another, can another even do what, what this man's done? Oh my gosh, this guy's done so much. Wow. <laughs> anyway, enough of my intro. First section of this uh, uh, scripture, for, for first section of my teaching here. On to our first prophecy of today. One that we could see that Jesus Christ did fulfill. This is now being my third prophecy in two sermons of things that he did do. First prophecy on that table. The healings Jehovah foretold Messiah would do. From again the prophet Isaiah. Here's that Isaiah 35. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6 here. I told you to put your finger there if you wanted to go go on ahead. Uh, God spoke to Isaiah, one of his mightiest prophets. Isaiah was a major prophet. There's minor prophets like Micah. We're going to get to him next. And then there's major prophets called Isaiah. And it was the, the major and minor didn't... <laughs> People think size of the book, well, it kind of relates, but major being uh, ones that God spoke the more to, like more things to, and minor being the ones that God didn't speak as much to. And of course, if you look at Isaiah, it's like a mini Bible, people call it. Because uh, it's got like 60-something chapters. And it's, it's basically, you can read from the Isaiah 1 to Isaiah, very last chapter. And it's kind of like the whole Bible in one condensed little book. And then you got Micah, who, you know, just a little he, powerful man of God. But, you know, God didn't speak through him, you know, as much as he did Isaiah. Anyway, Isaiah 35, 1 through 6, major prophet. Isaiah says this about the healing Messiah. <clears throat> the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. Why? The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. And and I I interjected the why there a little earlier, and here's another why. For because, I'll say, even though that's not there, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellence of our God. Hey, God's coming, and he's literally going to come to these areas in the flesh. That's basically what Isaiah is speaking to us that God is saying here. The Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming, and these lands are going to rejoice. They're going to sing and and have joy because they're what? They're going to actually see Messiah. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees, Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. This is what God's telling Isaiah. Hey, tell the people. Hey, don't be weak. Be strong. Hey, get up. Get your knees straight. Because, here's why God said those things. Same verse, or verse 4 now. Behold, your God will come. Now, we're talking about the Messiah, the coming of Messiah. With vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Emmanuel from Isaiah 7.14. God with us, remember? And when he comes to save us, what will he do? Verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. 
means that Messiah is going to heal eyes. Eyes of blind people, which, by the way, nobody in the Old Testament ever did. Okay, So the eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. So you see there, we got eyes of the blind, we got ears being open, deaf people being able to hear, people that can't walk, people, you know, lame from birth, being able to leap like deers, and then even people that couldn't speak, the mutes, actually coming and speaking. So Messiah was foretold that he would come and do all kinds of miraculous healings while he was bringing salvation to his people, because that's what scripture just told us. I'm not making that up. This is what Isaiah chapter 35 just told us, verses 1 through 6. It's all Isaiah said there. Now, when you look to the Jews of today to tell you what prophecies Jehovah said Messiah would fulfill to prove he was Messiah, they don't talk about this one of the healing. And it makes sense. Why don't they? Well, because think about it. What did we just read in Isaiah chapter 11? Hey, there's going to be righteousness to fill the whole earth, right? There's going to be righteousness to fill the whole earth. Hey, snakes won't even bite kids anymore. Lions aren't going to attack cows anymore. Well, I don't necessarily think there's going to be death even in that time anymore. Personally, as I read the scriptures, I don't think there's going to be sick people Anymore. So if we're going to base Messiah upon just Isaiah 11 and not all the totality of scriptures that God said Messiah was to come in, our picture of Messiah becomes he's coming in a time when, hey, man, the earth is abundant in peace. Well, there's not going to be, he's not going to have to be any, do any need or have any need of healing people. So you see, that's the dangers of only looking at Messiah from one section of Scripture and not a totality of Scriptures. You see here, in our current world of Bible study, that kind, the Jews' kind of study of their Bible is called eisegesis. You see, there's two ways to study the Bible. There's a way called eisegesis, and then there's a way called exegesis. I said, Jesus, is when we go to Scripture and we find what we're looking for and be like, yeah, that's what that means. We just find any verse. Well, that's, that's what I believe. Oh, that verse, that's what I believe. I, I just heard somebody speaking about it today. They were talking about the shortening of the end of the days. And they pull out a section of Scripture from Jesus when he's talking about the end times. Speaking about how the days would be shortened so that, you know, because even if they weren't, even the elect would, you know, not be saved. Well, many people don't take the whole context of the whole section. They just take one verse and take it out of context. Jesus, they're speaking about contextually that when he comes or when Messiah comes back or when, or when Christ redeems in the Isaiah 11 time, that God's going to sh- cut the days, the amount of days short. Because had he let the amount of days go on, then his elect would even be deceived by the Antichrist and then they'd end up falling away from him. Many people though today say, oh no, the earth's days are getting shorter. And that's just simply not true. The earth's days are not getting shorter. If they're getting shorter, they're getting shorter by a millisecond of a second of a second. It's not getting shorter. Oh my gosh, we're saving minutes a day. And in 10 years, we're going to be at 30 minutes a day. And in 20 years, we're going to be at two hours a day. Our days are only going to be 20 hours. That's nothing in scientific Research shows this, okay? So you can't study the Bible by eisegesis. you got to study the Bible by exegesis. And this is what the Jews, even still today, hey, we're only going to look at Messiah through the lens of Isaiah chapter 11. We're not going to look at the Messiah through the totality of Scripture. So therefore, we're going to get our picture of Messiah from just this one section instead of all the sections. And so you see that's dangerous. It's a dangerous way to study the Bible because you see there's Jehovah's picture of Messiah, which is all the sections of Scripture that the Bible speaks about, not the Christian Bible, the the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh. There's the Jehovah's picture of the Messiah that we should take and look at a totality of all of those prophecies, which is exegesis, and say, okay, here's what Messiah is going to look like. He's going to heal. He's going to bring peace to earth. He's going to bring righteousness. And he's going to die. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be, And then we can take all these scriptures and say, okay, let's give a picture of, of Messiah. 
And then there's the eisegesis way, the way that the Jews study their Bible is, well, I'm just going to pick one and hang my hat on just one because, by golly, Jesus Christ can't be the Messiah because he just can't. And that's not a way to study the Bible. Facts lead to truth. Anyway, getting back to the healing Messiah of 35 and the totality of Scripture Messiah that I'm bringing to you throughout my teachings, not an eisegesis teaching, but an exegesis teaching. Did Jesus Christ do the miracle healings that Isaiah said he was going to do when he came? You bet your boots that he did. You got Luke 18, 35 through 43. And for time's sake, as I see, I'm already kind of waning on my sermon. I love, I love this topic and Oh, it's my favorite topic in the whole Bible, but you can go and look at these. Luke 18, 35 through 43, uh, where Jesus heals a blind man and calls him son of David and goes on to heal him. Then you got, and, and that was a blind man. Then you got the deaf and mute people, Mark 7, 31 through 37, where Jesus comes and heals a, a deaf and mute person. And then just one of them for all. And if you want, you can write those sections of scripture down, but just for time's sake, uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to take us over an hour. I try really hard not to go over an hour. In fact, I try to go under an hour, but that just generally doesn't work. But just one of them for all. One recording that speaks of them all. Matthew 15 verses 30 and 31. It says this: Jesus, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him. Those thousands of people came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute the maimed, and many others. So that just covers them all, right? That covers all Isaiah 35, that that was what Messiah was supposed to heal. Is Jesus able to heal them? And they laid them all down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. That's awesome, right? Uh, did he come doing all those miracle healings while telling us that he came to save his people? Matthew 18, verses 10 and 11. Take heed. This is what Jesus said. Take heed. Did you not despair one of these little ones? For I say to you that in heaven there are angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. So Noah, the prophet of God, the Old Testament, and nobody's come today so far that's been able to back up what they... Many have come, by the way, and said, Oh, Messiah, I'm Christ. Oh, I'm, I'm the Savior of the world. But guess what? They haven't been able to back it up with real deal miracles like Jesus Christ did back in the first century A.D. in Jerusalem. And while proclaiming, I'm here to save you, and then backing up what he did with the power of God to heal the lame people, to heal blind people, to heal people that were mute. And you see, there won't ever be one to do the miracles the way he did and to profess the things that he did, plus offer the salvation uh, that he did when he came. Because you see, Jesus of Nazareth was God's Messiah and Christ, the hope of Israel. Uh, what proof do I have that these things actually happened? Remember I talked about last week, we have the testimony of the witnesses of his disciples. All they would have had to do, they were all, they had no motive. And I'll just run through this really quick as an overview. Last week I kind of hit it in depth, but they had no motive. You see, if anybody's going to make up a religion for their own gain, or, or I'm going to, I'm going to, promote you a product for my own gain, of course I have a motive. I have a motive to make money. I have a motive to be famous. I have a motive to, you know, get a lot of things. I have a motive. But you see, the disciples of Christ had zero motive other than Jesus Christ told them to do it because they didn't have anything to gain from preaching that he was Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God. The only thing that history tells us they received from proclaiming uh, and writing that Jesus of Nazareth was Messiah were beatings, floggings, whippings. They were filleted, which means that all their skin was cut off their bodies while they were alive. And then they were killed, even as Peter being crucified on a cross just as Jesus Christ was. And so they all they had to do to escape these terrible things that people said and that people did to them, as history tells us, 
And, and you see, history, people say history is written by the winners, and that is true. Yet Christianity still thrives throughout this world, and Christianity throughout the whole world has always typically and, and globally been the greatest loser. So think about that one. That was one that God gave me a while ago. Anyway, they all faced these deaths for proclaiming these things of Christ, and all they had to do to escape them was to say, I didn't see Jesus Christ alive again after he died. You know what? I'm wrong. He's not Jehovah's Messiah. He wasn't the only Savior of the world. And you know what? And we'll stop preaching him to people as we're saying that he is not. If they would have just done those things, simple, right? Simple, right? Man will generally do all that they can to save their lives. So if they would have just done those things... And just said, no, you know, we change our mind. He's, he's not all those things we say, and we're going we're to stop talking about him. Then they would have let him live. They would have saved their lives. Unfortunately, they would have lost their eternal lives. But if they would have wanted to save their lives, that's all they had to do was say they didn't see those things and stop telling people those things. But yet, they all, as history tells us, all but one, all went to brutal deaths at the very end, all from proclaiming that Jesus Christ was Jehovah's Messiah. They had nothing literally to gain at all. As they penned the words of their Bible, basically, and as they preached them, they were basically signing their own death certificates. And they knew it. They knew the world wasn't going to accept it. Jesus told them. They knew the Jews weren't going to accept it. Jesus told them they had already seen it. Anyway, stop looking at the prophecies that he didn't fulfill. Look at the ones that he did fulfill. And then, guess what? The second coming prophecies, he will fulfill them. When he comes back, he will fulfill them. Just, just keep an eye out if, if you're still alive. Let's move on. Second prophecy of today, it's, 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 a, it's a gangbuster, it's, it's, it's powerful. Uh, second prophecy of today, the location of Messiah's birth. God spoke very clearly that his Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem. And this was, that's a key word there, was a traditional belief of the Jews. Now, currently, the Jews just gloss that over and they say they don't know where Messiah is to be born. And the reason they do that, we'll talk about that at the end of the section, or in the midst of this section of scripture, but there's a reason why they do that. But we'll move on first here. The reason that the Jews from the past believed that their Messiah from the line of David and Judah was to be born in Bethlehem was because of one specific prophecy from one of Jehovah's minor prophets. Minor again, like I just told you, Micah. Chapter 5, go to verse 2. If you're reading a Tanakh, it would be verse 1. If you're reading a Christian Bible, it would be verse 2. God says this through Micah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now, I'm not going to get into depth into that verse just yet. First, I want to give you a little history. This passage in Micah was written around 700 B.C. and has been recognized in the past, as I said already, traditionally by ancient Jews and by ancient Jewish sources to indicate that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. One of those sources is the Jerusalem Talmud. Uh, Y.beer.4.2 comments and says this, King Messiah is born. He is from the royal place of Bethlehem. The Talmud, by the way, is a collection of rabbinic notes that would be notes by rabbis, you know, those leaders of the Jewish faith, not Christian by any means at all. They were rabbis of the Jewish faith, and they were, and they did this, they wrote this uh, Jerusalem Talmud along with, there's another Babylonian Talmud, but they wrote this Jerusalem Talmud around the 2nd century A.D., and this would be their Jewish oral tradition known as the Mishnah. The Talmud consists of two layers, the Mishnah and the Gemara. Which means that, all that means, is that way back in the 2nd century A.D., so roughly about 1,800 years ago from where we are now, because of Micah's prophecy, 
the Jews of old believed that Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Another short source that shows us that the ancient Jewish, uh, the ancient Jewish peoples believed that their Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem was in the Bible. <laughs> For we have Bible is, is a recorded text. It's actually a proven text. It's 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 rich in antiquity, and so we have the Bible. Matthew two one through eight. Remember the wise men that come from the east, right? And Herod's angry, right? Remember we talked about this last week, and so that the wise men come. Well, after they come, he calls the wise men and he says, uh, "Where is this Christ supposed to be born?" And they say to him, verse five of Matthew two, in Bethlehem of Judea. And thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In John's Gospel, he's John chapter 7, Jesus has got some people there that believe in him and some people there that don't believe in him. And so they're kind of arguing. And in the midst of their dispute about who he was, look at who gives us a clue of where Messiah was going to be born. John 7 Verses 40 through 44. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet, meaning that's Messiah. Others said, this is the Christ. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Truly this is the prophet, meaning the prophet to come before the Christ. Verse 41. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, so we got two, two camps there already. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Because that's where Jesus had come from before he had started his ministry. Verse 42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? Meaning where David was born. And see, so there was a division among the people there because of him. Verse 44 says, now some of them wanted to take him. No one laid hands on him. So at least two different authentic ancient sources show us that Ancient Jews never questioned where their Messiah was to be born. It was always in Bethlehem. No ifs, ands, buts are about it. Let's go back to Micah chapter 5, verse 2 again. Let's look at why it was a Messianic prophecy and why it was the birthplace of Messiah. Micah goes on to say, by inspiration of God, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, location of his birth, there you go, there was the location, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, it's just a tiny little city, which it is a tiny little city. Yet out of you, that would mean from your city or town, shall come forth to me one to be ruler in Israel. There's your ruler. There's your Messiah. Whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. What does God say about this ruler in Israel in this verse that tells us that it's a messianic prophecy? I'm going to let a fellow named David Brickner, he's the executive director of Jews for Jesus, explain it because he does a phenomenal job. I, I accentuate what he says here just a little bit, but I want you to listen to what he says. He says here, Micah makes an unusual statement when he says, from you shall come forth to me. This is no ordinary way to talk about someone's birth. Micah is speaking as a prophet on behalf of God. So it's basically, you know, like God speaking through Micah or God speaking. He goes on to say, this is who the me in, is here, which is Jehovah. So this ruler is born for God and for God's purposes. And he says, he goes on to say, no wonder all the ancients expected this one to be Messiah. Now we arrive at the most controversial and for some alarming part of, Messiah, of Micah's prophecy. God begins talking more specifically about the nature of the child or the comings forth of the ruler. In Hebrew, the word for coming forth is matsagati. This is a compound noun, meaning more precisely, the place where he originally left. So we, here we are surprisingly told that it, this is that there is a place that this ruler existed before his birth in Bethlehem. God then tells us that this ruler actually comes from Kadim, meaning of old, and from Yimi Haolam, from everlasting, or literally Yimi Haolam means the days of eternity. Okay. Uh, well, do you see why we're talking about Messiah here? Who in the world has his origins in eternity? <laughs> no person that I know, right? Who could exist 
before his birth, right? There can only be one conclusion, and the one conclusion that David Brickner came to, the one decision that many Jews have come to, is this had to be Messiah. This had to be God's Messiah. Again, I just added a few words in there. I am going to link their website. I, I've, I've taken some of what I've gotten here today off of the Jews for Jesus. So they're, they're, it's, a, it's a website, a webpage of theirs on their website jewsforjesus.org that speaks of the 40 most important prophecies that Messiah would do when he come when, or when he came and then, then they talk about how Jesus Christ fulfilled them and then they write articles in it and I'm, I, I already linked it to last week's and I'm going to link it again to this week and it's a very powerful page I've used some stuff off of it I've learned some stuff it's, it's awesome there's actually more than 40 prophecies that Christ fulfilled that Messiah was supposed to fulfill but those, those will get you started now, now I must add something very powerful here for you to think about as I drive home a humongous point about Messiah's birthplace. According to the ancient Jerusalem Talmud, 2nd century AD, I want to repeat this again, and according to the Bible, along with a couple more references that I didn't mention here, 100% of all Jews today should be able to tell anyone that asked them, hey, where is your Messiah going to be born? And they should hands down they should know because the ancients knew and the, their Bible speaks about it. Um, but, <laughs> but they don't say they know where he's born. They, they will tell you they don't know. I myself figured that I could easily go to one of their many Jewish websites out there and find the answer to the question. I didn't you know where would Messiah be born. And so I did. And would you believe? And, and would you believe? As I searched a few websites uh, enough to see a trend, no one had written anything about where their Messiah was to be born. Not one Jewish website spoke one thing about where Messiah was to be born. So, on one of them, as I was searching around, something divine happened. I mean, I guess it's probably not divine to you, but I mean, it was because uh, I went ahead and did something here. So I was, I think it was Chabad.org, which is a fully Jewish website, non, non-Christ here. A little chat window opened up in my right-hand screen as I was doing a little research on their website. And it was a fellow, I forget the guy's name, but he, he had, hey, would you, you know, can I help you with anything? Can I answer any questions for you? You know, I'm here to help, you know, so I figured, hey, you know, you know, I, I can't find it here. Let me ask. So I did. So I wrote in the chat bar and I, I simply asked, where is your Messiah to be born? Or where is Messiah? I didn't want him to think I was a Gentile. So I just spoke to him like a Jew would. Where, where, where would Messiah or where is Messiah supposed to be born? And, and so to my surprise, he said he didn't know. And he told me so. And, and then I asked him, if, can you refer me? to a place that I can go to learn where a Messiah is to be born. And to my surprise again, he didn't know. Wow. I'm serious. This really happened to me. I don't know. And I don't know where to tell you where to go. Now, I wasn't ready to get into a conversation with him about his Bible. And I wasn't ready to get into him into a conversation with him about Micah because I was on a time crunch and I, I spend many hours preparing these sermons and I do them on my on my lunch hour at my job and everything and so uh, during the week and then touch them up at home and stuff and so anyway uh, this part of the section though this part of what happened to me fueled this part of the section because he he said he didn't know and yet their scriptures are plain to say that, hey this is where he's from so when i thought about the things i've told you now and the things that we've talked about along with this you know guy on this website to my brain things didn't add up you see according to ancient jewish sources jehovah's messiah will be born in bethlehem and again there's no ifs ands buts about it yet the jews of today don't know where he will be born or say they don't know where he will be born, but how can this be? Is it that A, they really don't know, or B, that they don't want to know, or they refuse to accept what their Bible says because of certain circumstances? And I think the latter is a winner. I, I, the reason I think we have a winner and they don't want to accept it is because, again, certain circumstances surrounding Bethlehem today. For you see... There is a huge problem with Messiah being born in Bethlehem today that wasn't a problem back in Jesus Christ's day. 
nor was it a problem in the second century AD when the Jerusalem Talmud was written. What is that problem? Again, this comes from Jews for Jesus website on this specific thing. And he says this, David Brickner, I believe again, he says this, take a tour in Israel and there is one town you'll need to think twice about visiting. Jewish tours almost always avoid it, even though it is the birthplace of the greatest ruler in Israel's ancient history, King David. Christians like to tour there, but it is such a hassle that many settle for a facsimile. I guess there's other places where the town of Bethlehem is set up and so on and so forth, and we know from the nativity scene and all that good stuff that we have the town of Bethlehem. And then, of course, that is the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, he goes on to say, is only six miles, that's not far, from the heart of Jerusalem, but it is in today Palestinian territory. And to get there from Israel, you have to go through a border crossing where there are heavily guarded Israeli border guards who have trigger fingers, quick trigger fingers. And if you are part of a tour, you will probably have to get off your Israeli bus and board another with a Palestinian tour guide and driver. This is why Jewish groups and Christian groups really very rarely go there and they decide that it's not worth the hassle. For you see the, the big conundrum here, because the town of Bethlehem is in Palestinian territory, there are zero Jews that live there because the Palestinians and the Jews, well, they don't get along. And, you know, if you're a Jew, you don't want to go, like, right into the lion's den, right? You know, where the lions are hungry. You know, you would rather have that border in between you. Even more amazing, he goes on to say, because of the political differences and the hatred that the Muslims have for the Jews, few Jews ever even visit Bethlehem, which means, all concluding up, this means that there are absolutely zero Jews being born in Bethlehem today. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty amazing, isn't it? So why don't the Jews of today want to believe their own scriptures about where Messiah was to be born as the ancient Jews did? Well, because Micah's prophecy cannot come true anymore. <laughs> that's why. My, Micah's, Jews today look at Micah's prophecy. Oh, you know, God couldn't have meant Bethlehem then. I have to strike that one off because you know what? Ain't no Jews over there in Bethlehem. How's Messiah going? Messiah's not going to come from a Palestinian. Oh, heresy. Right? So, Micah's <laughs> prophecy cannot come true anymore. It's a prophecy that must have already taken place in ancient times, just like with the family line of Messiah was to be born uh, to David, right? The prophecy of Messiah being born in Bethlehem must have already happened like when Jesus Christ was born there as a baby. And then grew up and moved away and went on to gather to himself a small group of 12 guys that he charged with going all over the world to tell us about who he was and how he came to bring salvation to the world and went out and did all kinds of miracles and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Must have been him for you see... This is just another reason why I believe Jesus Christ was Jehovah's Messiah, the Savior of the Jews and the world, as the Scripture tells us. Just think. God made it where Messiah couldn't even be born in the place that he said he was to be born, meaning that Messiah has already come the first time. He's not going to come born in a baby anymore. He's not going to come, right, as... As, as a babe in a manger. He's not going to come, you know, as Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 7 from a virgin. He's not going to come like that. He's going to come now a second time, Isaiah 11. He's going to come to rule. He's going to come to reign. He's going to come to bring peace on the earth and get rid of all evil and wickedness. So these reasons, along with many more, are partially the reason that I could, that I continue to believe in, love, and serve Jesus Christ as Jehovah's Messiah or Savior of the world to this day. You see, when I was first, first saved, I was an atheist. Uh, maybe you don't know that. I've said it before in my sermons. And so as I started to kind of think about death and well, wonder about death, and, well, what happens to me after I die? Oh my gosh, oh no. It kind of drove me to seek if there was a God. So, so I did, and I spent about six months, and I read about, I don't know, five to ten books of the Bible, some old, some new, and I came to this point where I kind of start. I reached out to God in, in the most intense way that I could, and I said, "Please, God, if you're real, you know, would you just show me? You know, I need, I need to know. You know, are, are you real?" 
And, and then God like filled the room and this power like was all around me. And I was like, Jesus, I need you. And the power of God went inside of me and I was a changed man. I was a completely changed person. I went from a hateful, terrible thief, rotten scoundrel to a loving person, positive person, uh, reading my Bible, talking to others about Jesus Christ. And so that was an awesome experience. But you see, many could just chalk up my experience as just that, an emotional experience with no real facts or evidence to back up what I began to believe about 19 years ago. And believe it or not, they actually have some weight to what they say. I'll actually kind of agree with them because even Mormons today will tell you, Latter-day Saints will tell you, Oh, I had this, I read the Book of Mormon and I had this feeling in my chest. This, they call it a burning in the bosom. And you say, oh, but that's, that's a feeling. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I've said before, well, I, I often feel like going in an all-you-can-eat all buffet and gouging myself and gorging myself till I can't walk. And I feel like that all the time. But is that good? Is that a good feeling? Is that a feeling that means that God's real because I had a feeling? No. So you can't judge truth on feelings. So because of the logical reasoning of those that doubted what happened to me was really from God, and not some just emotional experience, along with my own logical, skeptical mind as the years passed and I was believing in Jesus Christ and preaching Him, I myself also then doubted what happened to me uh, if it wasn't just an emotional experience. And then I went on a journey to find if there were really facts, like if there really were, were proof to what I believe, evidence that actually backed up what happened to me, actually backed up the Bible that I preached, the Bible that I was devouring every day. And so I went on this quest. And you see, the end result is what you heard today as well as what you've heard in my previous many sermons for these years that I've been preaching God's Word. I believe Jesus Christ is Jehovah's Messiah and that He offers salvation and that He is who He said He is, not just because of some emotional experience that happened to me one time on my living room floor, but also because literally, listen to me, I can choke a horse. I could choke a cow with the evidence to back up what I believe and what I came to believe 19, some 19, 20 years ago. Some things you see Mormons and Latter-day Saints cannot do. I have things like prophecy, archaeology, and history on my side. Oh, there's videos done. Mormons have got people, Mormon archaeologists have gone to sites where, where supposedly there was this great battle between these two great peoples and civilizations and, and hundreds and thousands and millions of people died and then they go to this hill and they they've done that excavation and guess what they find? The history, archaeology doesn't lie because bones don't go away. Bones are saved for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years and yet they don't find anything. They don't have any proof to their belief other than one guy just wrote a book and said, hey, this is true, here you go. No, no, the Bible is a completely different animal. And you see, that's what I've been telling you and that's what I've been teaching you. And that's one of the reasons why I still believe the way I do, why I still am who I am. Ladies and gentlemen and children of all ages, Jesus Christ was and is real, and he is who he says he is, and he is who the Bible says that he is. The Bible and the God it speaks of is real, and I can prove them to you as I've been doing these last couple of weeks. If after what I've given you so far hasn't made you a believer that Jesus is Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Jehovah, then you must sadly be purposely be putting your head in the sand and refusing to believe, just like the many Jews today that examine the evidence and still refuse to believe. All I have to say, shame on you. Shame on you, don't do that. Shame on you. Don't do that. God loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus the Christ, his Messiah, down to earth. And he made sure he did all these amazing things that we still have prophetical proof, archaeological proof, historical proof that he actually did them. Proof that you can build a mountain on, a, on a mountain that won't crumble. A, a mountain of evidence that can help you believe. Wow. Please repent. Turn away from this idea. He can't be Messiah. Oh, Jesus Christ is in Repent. 
Believe Jesus is Jehovah's Messiah and turn your life to Him today. He's waiting for you. If you say you believe in Him already, then I want to tell you this. These messages and the ones that I'm going to continue to preach should be the fuel you need to burn like a bright light for Jesus Christ and to have the confidence you need in order to go out there and share Him with others so that they can come to believe in Him and turn to Him as Lord. And it should also give you enough fuel in your tank and fuel to, for your fire to burn brightly and your relationship with Him and your love for Him and your love and your service to Him and your love and service to others openly loving and serving Him, not being ashamed of who He is. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. He's real, ladies and gentlemen. He's real. Love Him. Serve Him. Serve Him boldly. Love Him openly, saints. Let's pray. Thank you so much, dear God, for your love. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you so much, Lord God, for all the goodness and the grace that you pour out upon all mankind. And these wonderful, wonderful, amazing prophecies that you give us, Lord God. These mountains of proof that you give us to believe. And not just that we have to... There is still faith. Lord, faith is not... You can't take faith out of the equation. But Lord God, really, when we, if we just open our hearts to look at all the totality of the scriptures of Messiah and who he was, Jesus Christ is the one, Lord. And that is just... just plain as the nose on our face. So please, God, help those that are listening to me and those that will ever listen to this message, Lord, help them to believe. Help them to believe and accept and turn to Jesus Christ as your Messiah and be born again. Lord, please help us, your children, Lord, that already believe in you. Lord, help these messages. Lord, strengthen us. And help us, Lord God, to believe more and more and more, Lord, and serve you more openly and love you more openly and obey you more openly, Lord God, please. Uh, let, your, let your light so shine, Jesus said, so that the whole world will see. And we know it is the goodness of God that brings men to repentance and that people would see our good works and glorify God. Lord, if we live these ways openly, Lord, people will see you living with us, Lord, and smell that sweet, fragrant aroma, Lord. And God, we pray that those around us would see our lights for you and turn to you and be saved. Thank you, Lord. We love you and praise you and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name.